In this episode, my guest and I discuss trauma-informed facilitation, holiday traditions, and dancing virtually to the songs of ABBA. Today's guest is the Director of Experiential Learning for Crossnor Communities for Children. My name is Phil. I'm the host of Vertical Playpen, the podcast you are listening to. And let's get into the conversation between myself and Andrew Florence. The last time we connected, we held virtual hands and we danced the night away to some ABBA, I believe I played, on Gavatown. That's where we were. We were in, in Gavatown whilst uh, participants or attendees of the International AEE Conference. I think that I was reflecting, and, I, and I, there was an episode that I mentioned this in, that that end, that was the last thing I did of that conference. And um, I think it really summed up the conference for me because I think that there was some spontaneity to it. There was connections with people that I don't, haven't connected with in a big way. I've seen faces here and there like yourself. I've seen you at other conferences or seen you on the screen at a webinar or something. And um, we run into similar people, but what I really enjoyed about this year's conference is the opportunity to try to chat with some of these people and actually have some time. So out of that conference, I reached out to you and said, I would love to be able to uh, connect. Awesome that I was able to connect. Awesome that we were able to join us here. And um, thank you. Welcome. I did send some questions ahead of time, but I'm going to do a section that I've been calling mystery questions. Exactly. I, I really need like someone to record a theme song to it. Mystery questions. Mystery questions. Half a half a tone higher. Yeah. <laughs> I'll add, I'll go low, and you go you go the higher register, and I'm going to go the lower register. So I'm going to go mystery questions. Mystery questions. Well, why do we even need? I don't need to pay anyone for anything. Why am I spending money on licensed music when I could have just recorded stuff myself? This is gold. This is gold. Pure gold. So what for this one, I'm going to use uh, something different, a different tool in my uh, toolbox. This is a deck of cards called the Interview Deck uh, by a company called Poddex. Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go down like this, and then you're just going to say stop. And wherever we stop is the question we answer. So are we ready? And I'm going to hold this close to the mic because sound effects. And stop. Okay. Oh, this is what was the best present you've ever received? Okay. So this is, this is not the best present I've ever received, but it's a, a family. Like there's, this is a family story that has traveled decades now. I was like six years old. It was my birthday and uh, my grandma got me, or maybe it was my aunt. It was someone in my family got me a present that was in a box. And of course, when you're a kid, like you don't, you know, like clothes are the, the worst present. Cause like, I, yeah, I don't. So I, I shook the box and I said, I hope it's not a shirt. It was a hundred percent a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so all my family is watching me while I'm opening this shirt box. <laughs> And now 
every time that there's a gift exchange in my family, every, like every time that someone opens a gift, everyone says, hope it's not a shirt. So it's like this, this thing that's just traveled decades that I can't live down. I hope it's not a shirt. I was actually speaking to someone recently about this, this notion of like um, holiday traditions, not necessarily things that we get or receive. And, and I've got a daughter who I'm, I'm trying to like say it's, more about the giving, it's more about the experience than the getting of gifts. And we have this thing in in my family. All growing up, we called it, and the name it has in our family is the crap sack. And uh, because the concept of it is that it, my uncle one year um, had the smart idea. That we He went to a local market, like a thrift store or something, and just bought a load of quote unquote crap. Stuff that was not was just funny, but like people definitely wouldn't want. It was like um like a sponge or something, like just random little things, like a toilet Lufa. cleaner, a loofer, exactly. Like certain things that he just found and thought would be funny. And he wrapped up everything, meticulously wrapped everything. So that and he came with this big bag, this sack of crap. And uh the he came up with a game on the fly of just having a dice. And we would go one by one. And if you roll a six, you get to grab something from the, the sack. And so, wow. but he set it up as these were incredible gifts. So he, the presentation of it was awesome. Actually, when I reflect on it, I think it was very well facilitated because it was like the, the presentation was like adventuresome. Like we didn't know what was coming. Everyone was bought into the mystery of it. And so we would roll a die. And then if you got a six, everyone in the family would go six. And then you would like pick up a bag and then you'd open up just this absolute nonsense present that like a kid picking up like a toilet loofer or something like unwrapping something. Oh, what could this be? But it was across the board funny. And so it that ex whole experience was such an entertaining experience that we carried that on to the extent now I live in America and we mail out and it costs us more to mail this out than it is the the stuff in the bag but we mail out a sack with all this stuff to my parents and to my brother who lives in London and we then uh do a zoom call and we or a FaceTime or whatever and we still do the crap sack we do call it now Santa's sack because I've got a young daughter and it we wouldn't want to be calling it the crap sack. <laughs> but I, then I reflect, like, I'm pretty sure they called it that when I was a kid. I can't remember any other name. I don't remember it being called something uh, lighter than that. But yeah, Doo -doo it's become... Yeah, I don't know. It, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, the word sack isn't also a great word. It's, That's true. Yeah. So... Cringy. Cr there's a lot of cringe to it. But anyway, yeah, I like those traditions. And uh, fingers crossed this year you don't get a shirt. Well, I do now. I really enjoy shirts. That's the thing, right? As you get older, there is a certain point. Like I enjoy, I, my mother-in-law last Christmas got me bombers socks, the now expensive pairs of socks, but socks are like the joke present. They are, were the best. I'm wearing them right now. It's a year later. And all I keep thinking is like, I really hope I get more. You've been wearing them for a year straight. Not yeah, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah feel the commitment. The smell is in, incredible, but the comfort is incredible. Also, this all comes full circle. This the socks will now be in the crap sack. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Worn, smelly, used socks. That would probably not be the greatest. You know, if I sent those and they were just used, used uh, 
uh, objects. But anyway, yes. well, thank you for that. That was that was nice. And I think what um, ties us in this notion of like a past, your traditions and your experiences ties very nicely, and I would say expertly hosted by myself into a. This, the first question that I actually have for that flows into this um, this interview is what's your first experience of experiential ed and how did you form that into a career? Thanks for that question, Phil. I love hearing people's backgrounds and the formative experiences that get us to where we are today and kind of have shaped us as facilitators, practitioners, and, and our experiences that, you know, that stick with us till today. So for me, scouting was kind of my first intro. I grew up in scouting. I am now an Eagle Scout. Once an Eagle Scout, always an Eagle Scout. Eagle Scouts assemble. <laughs> they all heard it. Yeah. Every one of them. They all listen, which uh, is incredible. Our listenership <laughs> is, is predominantly Eagle Scout. <laughs> and so, yeah, growing up, I, I didn't, I wasn't particularly good at sports, kind of clumsy, not real coordinated in the outdoors, it didn't really matter if I was uncoordinated. Like, I, yeah, I could still be part of the group and be part of the fun and the, the adventure. So grew up in scouting that then turned into, I worked at some different scout camps. Uh, am I allowed to name drop? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. So I worked uh, at camp Daniel Boone, which is a council camp in Canton, North Carolina, worked there for, five summers, I think, uh, during high school, which in retrospect is like, um, that is scary that I was a teenager and I was counseling my peers. Like I was teaching other teenagers how to swim and how to, you know, how to do rowing and canoeing and lifeguarding. Just the, when I, when I started, uh, moved, I moved to the States. I came over when I was 20, um, as part like do a summer camp to, summer camp counselor and i got put in as into the oldest camps and i was working with uh the cits so like 18 year olds and i was 20 and i was like teaching it yeah it and i look young now and i'm 34 take a 20 year old version of me i definitely <laughs> didn't look like i was the counselor of that team <laughs> yeah and then so then i went to college appalachian state university uh, and it was part of the, I went into the outdoor experiential ed program. Uh, and during those summers, I worked at a camp in Northern New Mexico called Philmont Scout Ranch. And the first, so kind of like my intro into the challenge course world, I, the first, um, backcountry camp that I worked at, at Philmont was a low ropes course camp. So, you know, th it's kind of a expedition style backpacking camp. So uh, crews are going out for seven, 12 days at a time. And in that they're hiking around to different camps, doing different programs. And so one of the options was, was to do some um, team building through and group initiatives through low elements. So that happened. And then the following semester, I, this is just a like theory of group dynamics. So the following semester in school, I took a class at App State called leadership and group dynamics taught by Tommy Brown. It was, uh, so it was all about kind of like low initiatives and ground initiatives and talking about Tuckman's stages and talking about the experiential learning cycle, all this talking about leadership's qualities and skills. And, uh, I decided very early on that semester that 
in every game, I was going to be, I was going to like put on a persona and be the most difficult participant. (laughs) Because that was always when I was doing, uh, when I was facilitating all those low elements, it was always, it was so interesting to see how groups handled the, or how they addressed that person who was in the group who maybe was showing some difficult behaviors or that, you know, we're maybe not so pro-social or, you know, how did, how do you navigate belonging still? How do you navigate like beneficial behaviors? You wanted to see what people, how people facilitate some of the maybe negative or the, the, the what happens when there's, there's some difficulty in a, in a group. And I think that's something that when I'm training, I'll get people asked that I worked with a school group recently, a school faculty, and they said, okay, but what if this, because the reality is that most of the time when I'm doing a training, the groups that I'm training are going to be decent enough participants. I'm, it's very rare to find an adult group who, where there are people who are like creating behaviors or um, scenarios that are actually accurate to working with an intact group that you might be working with. And so that translation between what I've been taught and the actual reality of the experience can sometimes be quite different. I almost related to when I'm doing staff trainings for summer camps or when I worked at summer camps and did staff training, the staff training weeks are really just a connection opportunity. Your first opportunity to be trained is when the kids arrive because that's when everything becomes real. And you take maybe the procedures that you learn, but you actually have to figure it out because that doesn't translate when you're actually working with participants who might have different behavioral skills. How do you teach that skill of being able to actually deal with the harder, more challenging portions of facilitation? Yeah, I mean, so part of it, um, so a lot of the work that we do um, at, at Crossnor, the agency that I, I Crossnor Communities for Children, and we'll talk about this more later, is, is really talking about trauma and talking about adversity and talking about needs and behaviors. And a really crucial thing that um, that I have, I try to teach my staff and try to teach uh people that come to our trainings is that behaviors indicate needs and feelings indicate unsatisfied needs or satisfied needs. Uh, so a lot of times if, you know, if, if you have a participant who's maybe like you see some behaviors that are, you know, not pro-social or they are challenging or, you know, it really is causing like some, uh, some riff in the collective, you know, a lot of times it can be really helpful to kind of, not, not, um, you know, put them in the spotlight so that it then is like, it turns into, you know, some, a, a place maybe where they aren't, um, that person is not cared for, but a really a, a situation where we can kind of, I can pull that person aside and kind of like, Hey, what's like, what is that behavior? You know, what is that getting for you? What, what's, what, what are you, what's your goal to, to be here today? Like, what, what do you want out of this? Is this like, the right fit? Is there something that you need that maybe you don't have access to uh, know how to get to that point? And maybe we can tap into the group to help get you to what, what you need or what you want. So yeah, experience that helps to know how to deal with some difficult behaviors. Cause yeah, even sometimes I, I will totally misread a, a certain behavior and and that's even like some days I'm not, you know, the most calculated or most like balanced or most aware uh, facilitator or version of myself. And so can totally go off, off script. Uh, but yeah, 
experience and also kind of just understanding um, what behaviors can tell us about what's happening. It's so helpful to, to me to remember, like it doesn't, in a group context, I'm as a facilitator, I'm only one of the components. I'm like one of the variables. So, you know, so much of what, what ends up happening in a group is so freeing for me. And I think I want to encourage people to take this on to remember, like what happens is not a reflection of me as a human being or like my value or my ability as a facilitator. Like I could have, you know, there's all sorts of, 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 components that go into what happens and, and how people show up. And so sharing kind of feedback to, to your participants when maybe you're, you know, you're starting to feel some, some emotional triggers uh, is, I mean, that's a gift that a, a person can see this like emotional intelligence, this like ability to stay grounded and communicate in a way like, Hey, this is happening. I'm frustrated. My needs are also not being met. I am also a human. I'm not like this stoic person just up in the front of the group. Uh, I'm, I'm also impacted by what happens and I might need to take some space so that I can take care of myself. Cause that, you know, I mean, regulated people regulate other people. And so if we can regulate, if we can keep ourselves regulated as facilitators, I think that's just such a gift to, to our, our collective nervous systems. I hope that it continues in this trend, but this, this social trend of being more vulnerable and the, the ability to be more vulnerable and talk about mental health in a more open and accepting way rather than the stigmas that are associated with them. Have you, have you seen that in your work at Crossnor? Have you seen some positive movement? And then explain to our listeners as well who who Crossnor is and, and, and the work that you do there. So my agency, or the agency that I work for is Crossnor Communities for Children. We're a child welfare agency across Western North Carolina. So um, we're kind of from the Piedmont area, about Greensboro, all the way to the Western part of the state up through the mountains. Um, we are a merged agency. So we merged in 2017, two different agencies, the formerly the Children's Home and then um, formerly the Crossnor School in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and then uh, up in Avery County, North Carolina. And then since the, the merger, we've added a, a site out in Hendersonville. So we provide a whole spectrum of child welfare services. So we've got residential foster care, community foster care, outpatient. Um, we've got day treatment, which is a medically necessary mental health service. Um, we've got a, a slew of preventative services. So if we can provide uh parenting skills, if we can provide resources to, to families um, who to prevent them from coming into um, further interaction with the child welfare system, prevent uh, kids from being taken out of the home um, and also transitional living um, services, because we know a lot of uh, kind of adult, young adult aged, former foster youth, you know, they don't have a whole lot of social resources. And so the ability to kind of scaffold and, and help those critical moments uh, in early adulthood. So I have the really cool opportunity to, to bring in adventure education and experiential learning 
into all of our programs. So that's really critical for, so we use a, a trauma informed organizational model called the sanctuary model. And so across the board, we talk about the importance of trauma in the brain and resilience, not only for how we deliver our services and how we kind of interact with our clients, but also how the staff interact with each other. Cause we know that organizations are also living and they also hold impacts. And so, you know, organizations have the ability to be traumatized and, and to, to hold stress. So we, you know, it's, it's really important for us to um, then experientially to think about that, uh, think about this healing process for us individually, um, but then also for us collectively at an organizational level, at a team level, um, at group levels. So yeah, that's kind of um, my spot in the agency as in a nutshell, you know, I, I am really encouraged that, um, that we're moving away from the like deficit based model of, of therapy that like you only go to therapy if you are sick or if you are uh, unwell or, um, you have like a, a diagnosed disorder, but that, um, just like going to the doctor or just like, um, eating whole fruits and vegetables like you do you do or exercising um, for the sake of keeping up your cardiovascular system that taking care of our mind and, and our the connection between our mind and our body is so critical and seeing that be normalized is has been um, I think in particular in in this uh, era of of covid and the covid pandemic that we're really starting to kind of recognize the impacts and I hope yeah that people, take take we, we come into this kind of awareness of that's my need i need to kind of talk about the ways that some of the some of the ways that i think or the ways that i behave maybe aren't benefiting me and they aren't benefiting the, the people that i that i spend time with how do you use adventure and experience with your population uh it's not something that i have a great amount of expertise in and so i'm, I'm intrigued by what your what your goals are when you're trying to bring adventure and experiential learning into the work? Yeah. So I forgot to mention earlier that one of the kind of critical steps for me, so I've, I've been with the, the agency for coming up on eight years and I started off as a direct care staff. Um, so I started off as a, a cottage parent in our, our residential foster care program uh, and then transitioned into a rec coordinator, recreation coordinator position, did that for a long time. Uh, and then also moved down here to the Piedmont area and actually transitioned to different campus, worked in our day treatment program. So a, a, a mental health service, uh, behavioral health service. And, um, and then kind of when that happened, it was 2018, the, the children's home, this campus in our, our Winston-Salem campus had a really rich history of adventure programming and adventure-based counseling um, that in kind of years had had gone away, come back. And so we had an old, an old challenge course that got renovated that summer, summer of 2018. And so kind of at that same time, we were able to kind of revision our adventure-based counseling program. So I started off as adventure-based counselor um, in 2018 and then um, have kind of trickled up and some more additional vision has been added to the director of experiential learning and kind of our experiential learning broadly um, within the agency. So, and also we have a, a 
a really big permaculture farm here and food forest, which is a really cool way to get people kind of thinking about our gut and thinking about the dirt and thinking about soil and experimentation and like just so many cool uh, ways that we can work on the farm. Um, but with our kids, I mean, you know, I think again, getting back to this um, kind of destigmatizing um, mental and behavioral health, we, um, I think there's this notion or there has been a notion that we're going to talk our way or think our way into like getting better or like healing ourselves. And I think it's just, it just is like, it's kind of disconnect because there's all the rest of our body and the rest of our experience. Uh, and so it's so much of what we do with experiential learning and with a, a, and adventure education is really to, um, to bring our, our full body, to bring our full experience into, um, into whether it's on the, the, um, our adventure park, or if it's on the ground playing, you know, doing key punch or doing Ubuntu games, whatever, like we want to bring our full, our full selves into the experience. And so it, it also is way less intimidating, um, to, if we have the whole group come together, like we're, the foundation is fun. We're going to have fun. Like this is going to, this can be a really fun, positive experience where we are working together towards whatever goals we come up with together. I mean, it's, I, you know, I have to be pretty, um, to hold my hands open in terms of what outcomes or goals we, we're going to shoot for. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. It brings in the body. It's regulating for our nervous system. So for those of us who have experienced trauma or who um, are experiencing trauma that, that we can in the active process of engaging in adventure ed, we're helping to let our brain know that our body is safe. You know, something that I just came into my mind was that one of my co-trainers recently said, and it's such a good reminder that one of the first thing that things that goes away when you experience trauma is imagination. So one of the first things that goes away is imagination. And so there's this ability when we have fun and we can experience the wonder and the like surprise of like, we have no, I, none of us know what's going to happen in this experience. And we can imagine what the goal might, what might be the end product. It, and we can imagine what, what that might sound like. It might feel like might look like. And so, uh, yeah, it's just such a gift to, to be able to cultivate imagination and to cultivate fun and to cultivate um, creativity as a way of kind of tapping into our, our youthfulness. Um, whether that's, that is people who are young in age or people who are more seasoned uh, in age. Yeah. And it's so hard, you know, when, when adults come in and, and we might use fun or we might use play, we might use adventure to, to create our experiences or it's like foundations for experience. And we've all, I think facilitators have probably universally who've worked with adults have had the person who's like, I have to play today. Oh, this is horrible. Like, why can't I go back and work? I have so much to do today. And like, I, I can build some empathy that like some, you know, that you've lost some imagination along the way of, 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 becoming an adult and it's okay that that has happened. We can, we can tap into that, that, uh, childlikeness. We can still get there and it's okay to let those barriers down. It's okay to have fun. 
Hey friends, so I want to quickly interrupt this episode to announce that we have a full-time adventure educator trainer position open at High Five. So I'm going to link the information in the description of this episode. So if you want to pause the episode, check out that description, go to that, um, you'll find all the information there. I look forward to uh, having you join us in our team. The deadline is March 18th. So once again, pause this, come back to this episode at a later date if necessary, and back to the episode. From your perspective, what is something that you wish, if people listen to this, that they they knew about the work that you do that maybe people don't know? I think... Yeah, I really like this idea that we as an industry are. So I think it was Kim Neil Wasserberger. I did went to a session that he did at the 2020 ACCT conference in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, where he, the session was called something like, was like the alchemist's bag or something like that. Yeah. Whether it's uh, magic or alchemy or, improvisers or um, whatever, I think art industry, we really have magic to bring into the world. That is, you know, I, I have talked to um, Meg Bolger a lot about, I'm still trying to figure out what exactly it is. That's my magic or like my special unique thing that is really is my piece to contribute to the field. You know, I, th- I think about you being like, you have such a gift in, in this podcast that made, you know, that's not the, the fullness of you. Um, I, and I think about my friend, uh, John Grizzle, who has got all of the different card games and card um, activities. And, and then like, uh, you know, there's all these different folks who have this, they have found this expression of themselves um, in the field that has been so, it's just it's, it feels like our, our profession is so um, accepting and um, affirming to, yeah, whatever, like the gift that, that you have to bring is we see it and we affirm it and we want that. We want you and the fullness of you. And, and uh, yeah, I think that, I mean, that's an intangible, you know, that's another thing that like, how can I, if I told you all that in a, a elevator speech, you might be like this guy. Cannot get off the elevator fast enough. <laughs> Pushing the button. <laughs> open door, open door, open door. Yeah. What do you for, do for a job? Well, let me tell you, there's a magic and intangibility. Make... <laughs> I'm an alchemist. <laughs> I'm a human alchemist. <laughs> wow, I totally something. understand what you mean now about oh your job. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, God. I wish now I want this podcast to be called The Human Alchemist. I do think. <laughs> <laughs> There's something to that, but no, I, I think that that that's a that's a great. I think that's the thing, and I I, I really want people to listening to this think about what we're talking about here. Even though it's kind of like we're we're tr- we're struggling to figure out the words, I think that that's helpful because that's something I took forever to figure out for myself. Was uh, I was doing constant mimicry of stuff. And I never really felt like I would. I was finding the thing that was more me, like I felt comfortable with and doing certain things certain ways. Like I've mentioned in this podcast that I'm not a fan of the stories with the lows and all that kind of stuff because it, it always felt weird for me to do it. And yet if I see someone else do it, that's like, that's the coolest story. I'm totally on board. But like if I did it, it never really felt great. 
And it took me a while to figure out me with this. And I don't think I'm still 100% there. If I listen back to episodes two years ago, I'm sure there's a different version of me than there is me now. And that's the benefit, I think, of being able to do this anyways, have more conversations with people like yourself. And then I've been taking little pieces, you know, like it's, it's, it's a borrowing of different experiences and figuring out what is the one thing I want to contribute to the, to the industry. I myself get very excited. I, yeah, I, I've seen like the work of like what's Meg's doing, what, what John are doing. We're all about the same age without saying how old we are. I feel like we're all in that same generation of like thirties, forties people like in this field who we're not young enough in the field where we're like the new people. We're not old enough in the field where we've got ourselves like stuck in our ways. I, I get really excited about, I was, uh, Ace, when I was at Raleigh, why did we not connect when I was at Raleigh too? Did you not come to the booth at all? What, what's wrong with you? Anyway. I did. Oh, you did? I did. And I talked to Lisa Oh wow. she's, and you were talking she's, to somebody she's else. The, she's the worst. Um, she's so great. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Big shout out to Lisa. Yeah. What I think is like, there's a lot of people I notice in our industry who are about that age, who are coming into our fold a little bit. And I really encourage this. Nothing against those people who have been in the field for a long time, but there is a a position of innovation. There is a position of newness. You know, Magic of Facilitation by Meg is just a wonderful book. and Unreal. So good. Facilitation cards, a fantastic resource that we haven't had for a while. I hope the podcast is that in audio form like there's there's a resource i there's a lot of different things coming that it gets me excited about the the future of the field and so finding your authentic thing and taking some time to do that and not having to be perfect and figure out what that is is a great thing that we should all be aware of and that's a great lesson for us all to know yeah and i think we like in this this like trying on of the different pieces or you know to to the story of like um whether you use the really elaborate story for your lows or you just go strictly based on you know a group outcome or whatever like in or if you picked up carl ronke's silver bullets and you just like read word for word out of the book and facilitated exactly like carl would have facilitated i think in that process you're still seeing yourself you're just like you know, chiseling away the, the little, the marble that's on the, that's on the sculpture of you. Um, and, and kind of really narrowing down on like, yeah, this is me, this is who I am. And I, I also see myself in you and I see myself in all these other facilitators and I, I can be confident in myself. I feel like there's a soundbite there and it's also a perfect way to end this conversation, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to have the time to connect as I said, I've seen your face around. I keep saying, Andrew Florence, who is that guy? I don't know him well enough. But every time that we've had these small interactions, I feel like a, um, a, a kindred spirit in terms of conversation and humor levels. And uh, I, I feel it and resonate. So um, I appreciate it. And I hope that we are able to connect more. Likewise, for people listening, connect with Andrew. I'm, I will put in the description all the ways to connect. And I think that that's another part of our industry that I really enjoy, that it feels very connected and everyone's wanting to assist and help. And I, when I was starting in this industry, a piece of advice I was given early on was reach out and connect with people in this field. And I did, and I am now doing this full time. So I think that, that I, it, my lesson would be to do the same thing. And so 
reach out if you're working in the in the field of adventure based counseling and you want to have someone to talk to check out andrew and connect with andrew and um, I vouch for Andrew <laughs> if that matters to anyone. <laughs> you got the fill seal of approval, Andrew. I'll give you a stamp that you have to wear on the forehead um, or a brand or something. Anyway, thank you, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much, Phil. This has been a real treat. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about, thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast. Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving Article Pass a guide. <laughs>